everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. What a week we had last week. Oh my goodness. Let's hope 2021 gets better from here on out. As always, I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. If you're returning, thank you for coming back. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan because most of us are not the freaks and weirdos like we're portrayed in, you know, pop culture and we're just regular people living our lives and we like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason and here we delve into those reasons. This week I'm thrilled because we have horror movie aficionado Michael Forth on the podcast. If you're a member of the Horror Virgin family on Facebook, you might be more familiar with Michael as the Miggy Mac. A native of Northwest Illinois and also a father, we get into how he first became a fan of horror, what his favorite movie is, how he's introducing his kids to horror movies, and why he loves B and C horror movies so much too. He's a huge fan of Halloween and puts an end to the controversy over whether or not Michael and Jason are actually the same person. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into this episode with the Miggy Mac. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining for this week's episode. I'm joined by my friend Michael this week. Michael is an avid horror fan who first who first watched Nightmare on Elm Street when he was only three years old. If you're in the horror virgin community, you may recognize him more as Miggy Mac. Without further ado, let's bring Michael on. Hey Michael, how are you? Oh, doing really well. Awesome. Glad to be on. Thanks for being here. Uh, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, etc.? cetera? Uh, yes. So my name's Michael Forth. Uh, you may know me uh, online presence as The Mickey Mac. Um, I'm from Northwest Illinois. Uh, currently live about 20 minutes from downtown Chicago, just right on the Indiana border. Uh, and currently work in healthcare, uh, doing insurance stuff. So my previous job before that, I worked for a movie theater for three years as a manager. So that's probably the greatest job I've ever had. But uh, unfortunately, uh, getting home at 4.30 in the morning every day just isn't conducive to having a little one at home. That must have been awesome. Lots of free movies. Yeah, absolutely. Free movies and free screenings whenever you wanted. Uh, You could just hook your PlayStation up to the projector and play whatever movie you wanted. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Uh, favorite scary movie and favorite movie, hands down, has to be John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, it's just, not only is it an amazing horror movie, it's just an amazing, you know, movie from start to finish. Um, I've owned, you know, dozens of versions of it from VHS to Laserdisc to DVD, Blu-ray, and, you know, Anytime there was a new Anchor Bay release when I was in high school, I had to pick that up. So that was, if it was Halloween, it, Mike was buying another uh, John Carpenter's Halloween DVD. Awesome. Uh, how old were you when you first saw it? Uh, that, I probably, in the four or five range, I more remember Nightmare on Elm Street more vividly because it is, uh, you know, it, it is a much scarier film, uh, especially for someone so young. You know, having your dreams invaded uh, was something that, uh, like, oh man, you know, that's that's kind of creepy and scary. But I just absolutely fell in love with it. Awesome. How did you wind up seeing Nightmare on Elm Street when you were three? My through my uh, biological mother. She was a horror hound. Uh, you know, constantly had Stephen King books uh, all over the house, and really no filters. So. I mean, we could watch basically whatever we wanted. So if she was watching, you know, a scary movie, we were watching a scary movie as well. So how did you first fall in love with the genre, would you say? Just, you know, off, right off from the bat, uh, you know, watching, you know, all the scary movies with my mom uh, over the years. Even when I was in kindergarten, uh, I was drawing pictures of Freddy Krueger, 
and Michael Myers and all of that. Uh, so I would say, um, you know, from a very, very young age, um, watched all the old universal horrors, got into Godzilla, King Kong, Dracula, Frankenstein, all of that. And then, of course, with the 80 slashers as well. Horror was constantly on in the household. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love this genre? Well, I think for the most part, it is one of the most imaginative genres. So anyone who is really creative or imaginative kind of steers towards the, the horror because, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a wide encompassing uh, genre. So you've got, you know, all your different subgenres and categories. So I think that, uh, you know, deep down, everybody really likes horror. It's just, you know, depends on what style of horror you like. Even someone who is like a horror virgin still likes movies like Gremlins or Ghostbusters, you know, stuff like that. So it's just really the, the degrees of scary that people really uh, gravitate towards. It's like a roller coaster. I mean, everybody likes likes roller coasters. You know, it's a thrill ride, but you're safe from the confines of your own house. Yeah, definitely. You're safer while watching a horror movie than being on a roller coaster for sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know before we started recording, you said John Carpenter was your favorite director. Why is he your favorite? Uh, just <clears throat> growing up, that was, I mean, the, every John Carpenter film, you know, was in on the, in the house, you know from Big Trouble in Little China to The Thing to Halloween, um, In the Mouth of Madness, just anything that he directed uh, just fell in love with. Like the, the cinematography, the scores, the writing, the characters, just everything that he does uh, is gold, you know, up until I would say 98 Vampires. You know, after that, uh, the it seemed to be, you know, a dip in quality with his last few movies, but... Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I've got all of his scores, you know, on the iPod and just, you know, shuffling that and just uh, kind of gets the creative juices flowing, whatever I want to do, any sort of writing or relaxation, just get a John Carpenter score going and it helps. Nice. I love, um, I love movie scores. What John Carpenter score is your favorite? Uh, my favorite would actually be Assault on Precinct 13. Um, it just has this really just, like gritty guitar, like twang to it that just, uh, um, just gets, you know, gets, gets me going. And it's one of the first, I can't remember if I saw that before I saw Halloween or not. I just, I know it was one of the many, you know, beta tapes back then that uh, was in the house. So John Carpenter is your favorite director. Do you have any newer favorite directors? Like who would be your second favorite? Uh, so with the newer output, I would have to say um, like James Wan um, or Lee Wynell, uh, those guys, I really gravitated uh, um, at the turn of the century. I know not everyone is into the torture porn craze, but uh, I really love Saw and the Saw series and then everything that they've done since. So I know that, you know, they didn't really have much to do with the series past, you know, producing past the third one. But uh, yeah, everything they've done, you know, Upgrade and Invisible Man, uh, Dead Silence, those are uh, just amazing. So within the past, you know, 20 years, uh, those, those two guys have really been uh, kind of my new go-tos. Awesome. Yeah, no, I really like the Conjuring movies. Um, and I just rewatched The Invisible Man. And it's such a good movie. Oh, yeah. I've, uh, I keep telling my wife she needs to see it. I, I bought it uh, 
on 4K and then now it's on HBO on demand. I'm like, you just need to sit down and watch this. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, I don't know. I feel like all women can like put themselves in her place, even if they haven't exactly been in a controlling and abusive relationship. Like women are always kind of afraid that that might happen, maybe. Oh, sure. And the fact that, uh, you know, <clears throat> whatever... She, she gets her comeuppance in the end. And that's kind of uh, what, what most horror movies, what we like to see is that, uh, you know, the, the hero or the heroine uh, does overcome the villain in the end. You know, even, you know, all of the slashers with the final girls. Uh, this is just kind of an updated, you know, more realistic take on what a final girl would be today in the real world. So you said you love the Saw movies. I saw the first Saw in theaters and then I was like, nope, never again. So why do you like, why do you like them so much? So I equate it to uh, what it must have been like for horror fans back in the 80s that were getting a Friday the 13th every year, you know, at the same time of the year, or a Nightmare on Elm Street or a Halloween where it was just coming out one right after the other. And it was kind of following along the same, you know, narrative. Even though if you sit down and watch all of those movies in a row, you kind of see that they really, the continuity isn't the greatest, but uh, with Saw, the continuity and the narrative as convoluted as it got towards the end, at least it was it was coming out every year the same time. It was a theatrical experience that everybody could have. And I kind of put myself as if I were, you know, 20 years older, this is what I would have been doing, you know, with the, the other classic horror franchises. Yeah. Does gore bother you much then? I'm assuming it doesn't if you can see oh. No, I mean, I think part of it is the fact that uh, having seen, you know, the original Nightmare on Elm Street so young that uh, I was pretty much desensitized. And it, anything that happens to do with eyes, though, can't, that's that's where I draw the line. But uh, yeah, I've, blood and guts doesn't really affect me. And uh, I, I love the really gory, cheesy uh, 80s horror, you know, practical effects. Give me all that. I think I was listening to the Horror Virgin review about Hostel when they watched that. And I think they mention spoiler, that there is a part towards the end where the main guy cuts out somebody's eye. Did you ever see that? Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's, that's where it's kind of like, I look away for, for that part of it. So that's the, that's the one piece of gore. So there's a, an 80s movie called Anguish, where there's like a, you know, razor blade to the eye where that, uh, you know, I saw that when I was probably 15 or 16. And I was just like, nope, nope. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of it too is I've had glasses ever since I was two years old. So, you know, eyes have always been kind of sensitive. You know, I had a, uh, eye patch for a few years uh, growing up trying to uh, you know correct a lazy eye so uh, very sensitive when it comes to eyes so that just that real world sensitivity goes into even you know my make-believe. That's understandable. Have you seen the movie Becky? Uh, yes I saw that uh, actually we did uh, a host party over cast where somebody had rented it and then uh, we were all in there watching that and uh, um, yeah I really enjoyed that. Yeah, cause there's, but there's some eye gore in there. Yeah, the, yeah, that's where you know, gotta gotta look away a little bit, but uh, yeah, gets 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 a little squeamish at points, but yeah, especially that part when Kevin Smith was Kevin Kevin James was is it Kevin Smith Kevin James Kevin James yeah, yeah was doing that. I was like, oh, I think I also had to look away, and I wear contacts, so I touch my eyes every day. Oh, see, I 
tried once and I can't even put eye drops in. So the, yeah. the doctor was like, oh, you can have a trial pair. And I was like, sure, let's try this. And after a half hour, he was like, no, you're not, you're not doing this. We could get them in, but they'll probably never come out. So I know you scoff at the assumption that Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees are the same person. How do you debunk that? Because they do seem pretty similar. Yeah, so they, on paper, yes, they're big, lurking, silent killers. Uh, but I like to go back, you know, with John Carpenter's original vision for the shape where, you know, Michael Myers wasn't technically a man. He was just, you know, the boogeyman. And then as you, you go through the series and it gets more convoluted and then you get into the, the cult of thorn and all of that. But uh, when you, when you boil it down, you know, Michael Myers is, you know, the evil personified. uh, Whereas, you know, Jason actually becomes just the, the, you know, man in the hockey mask or, you know, the bag head um, and then, you know, turns into a zombie or a deadite as you go along with the series. So uh, I think it's, if you have an affinity for either of the series or both of them, that's where uh, you get the, the differentiation between the two. But yeah, for the uninitiated, sure, I can, I can see where that is. But, uh, you know, just, you just got to watch all the movies in a row and you'll, you, you'll clearly tell the difference. Between yeah, them. I never actually thought they were the same person. And I never would have been like, oh, they're the same person until like Todd had said that. And even then I was like, but they're in two different movies. Yeah. They're not the same. Right. And one's, one's a William Shatner mask and the other one's a hockey mask. You know, that's, yeah. that's two different things. I don't, does Michael ever really become like a superhero, like an anti-superhero? No, it's always, yeah, it's just always kind of plugging along, just, uh, you know, killing, you know, whatever's in his path or, um, you know, the kind of the, the, the prankster kills. Um, when you get to the sixth one and it turns into, you know, that it was a cult that was controlling him over all this time, it, it gets a little weird there. But uh, no, when you boil it down, yeah, it's just kind of, it, it's Halloween. It's time to, you know, pull some pranks on kids and kill them. He, yeah, just walking really slowly down the road. I would, yeah, exactly. I would get killed by him because I'd be like, excuse me, sir, can you move? And he'd be like, <laughs> sure, and then he'd kill me. So you said in an earlier email that you own a lot of Michael masks. How many do you own exactly? Uh, so I do own, uh, 10 of them. So I've got one from every, you know, trick or treat release that has come out. And then I've had a couple that, uh, were released, you know, in the early two thousands, uh, through different mask maker productions. Uh, when I was in college, I was constantly on eBay, uh, ordering masks and posters and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, all displayed uh, above uh, one of my DVD racks. Uh, so when it, when it came to Halloween this year, I was gonna be Michael Myers. Uh, it was just a matter of which Michael Myers version did I wanna wear and walk around uh, town in. Well, I mean, that's certainly convenient because now you have a face mask for like one, a different one every day of the week. Right, exactly, yes. I think in your, your Twitter picture handle, whatever it is, you it's a picture of you in a face mask, isn't it? Yes, that's, uh, so I ordered that uh, uh, from Tom Savini, actually. His studio had um, Jason replica masks. Uh, so I ordered it back in May when I had seen it advertised uh, on Twitter and then uh, got it uh, in August because it was on in such high demand. But I absolutely love uh, wearing that around and uh, 
you know, people are like, oh, that's, uh, that's, you know, around Halloween time. Oh, that's a really appropriate mask. And I was like, well, I'm going to wear this, you know, at Christmas time too. So. <laughs> uh, what horror movie have you watched most recently? I've watched a ton, uh, especially uh, being in quarantine uh, for 14 days. Uh, I recently went through all of the Italian horror that Shudder had just put back on. Um, so I kind of reacquainted uh, myself with like Suspiria and Bay of Blood and Demons. Um, and then uh, I finally watched Underwater because that was on uh, HBO uh, Max, which I found out that is free with my cable package. So uh, started going through uh, some of the stuff that I had missed, you know, early part of the year. Yeah, I've Shout Factory had a bunch of sales over the past few months. So I ordered a bunch off of that and finally, you know, being in, uh, you know, conf solitary confinement for 14 days uh, was finally able to uh, knock some of those out and, you know, watch basically the entire catalog of Shudder and uh, other stuff like that. What was your favorite movie that you watched off Shudder? Uh, favorite off Shudder uh, would have to be having seen uh, Demons again because I hadn't seen it uh, since I was 15. Um, we had uh, rented it, uh, buddies of mine we every friday night was go to the movie store get five movies uh five days for 5.95 um and my one friend joey he would have a movie guide that would have ratings of all these movies so we would just go to the horror section and just go through and start circling stuff that was rated you know three star four star um and that was one of them we rented that evil dead and the Doom Generation and watched all three of those uh, in one night. Uh, and uh, we were just like, this movie makes no sense, but it was awesome. Uh, so having seen that again, I was like, oh man, it still is awesome. And it still doesn't make any sense. What is it about? Uh, so it's about a group of people uh, go to a movie theater and you know they're watching kind of a, a zombie flick happen on the big screen. Well then, you know, real life zombies start attacking in the movie theater and start turning people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's Italian. So it's, you know, beautifully lit, uh, gory. And then, uh, you know, two thirds through the movie, a helicopter just randomly falls through the movie, through the movie theater and uh, lands in there. And then they try to, you know, get themselves out and fly to safety. So it's very, very weird. Uh, but, uh, it is a little gory, so you put that uh, spoiler warning in, but, uh, but it's very well done. Awesome. I haven't watched much Italian horror because I hear it's so brutal, like uh, Cannibal Holocaust. So. Yes, that, yeah, that's, that's one uh, I just saw for the first time when Joe Bob did it uh, over the summer. And I was like, I, I see why I've avoided this my entire life, and I don't need to see this again. Yeah, that's what that's what a lot of my horror friends say. They're like, we've seen it once, that's it. So, no, I saw, I watched the Eli Roth special, and he had a segment on Cannibal Holocaust, and they didn't show, like, any of the animal killing, so. Oh, sure. I was like, I'm good with Which that. Which is, yeah, very thankful, yeah, for, for not showing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, you also said that Halloween 1997 was significant. Can you tell us what happened? Oh, sure. So, um, so this Halloween 97, I was a sophomore in high school. Um, you know, it was the, the Halloween after Scream had come out. So, you know, there was the, the re-emergence of horror. Um, even, you know, 
my my buddies and I, we were big into horror, but not everyone else into it because, uh, you know, the genre had pretty much kind of fizzled out. Uh, so with Scream reinvigorating it, you know, uh, we were all, you know, dressing up for Halloween and going to have Halloween parties. Uh, so I actually went to school dressed as Ghostface and was kind of terrorizing people throughout the day, um, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, tried to recreate scenes from the movie and you know it was a, a fun spooky time with everyone um, then after school uh, which my buddy Joey's house and he had the uh, Spencer's you know generic Michael Myers mask with the coveralls and we had planned on going to a Halloween party later that night so I got the bright idea of I'm gonna load this up in my backpack and uh, you know, they already know that I'm dressed as Scream, so I'll kind of dip out, you know, you go to the bathroom or whatever, and then come back, you know, through the cornfield, kind of slowly walking as Michael Myers. So I did that, and uh, yeah, as, as the bonfire, you could just kind of see the light glow of the white mask uh, as I was approaching, and uh, it, it got the perfect scare reaction of everyone, you know, screaming, and then kind of looking around like, oh, that's probably Mike, because he's not here right now. Um, so got got that, and then uh, after the Halloween party, went back to my buddy Joey's house, and we watched the entire Halloween series. So up until that point, there were only six of them. So I watched one through six. I was the only one that made it through all six films. You know, it was seven thirty in the morning when my dad came to pick me up, and uh, you know, I hadn't hadn't slept uh, in over twenty four hours, and I just had you know the entire Michael Myers catalog just burned into my brain uh so you know that always sticks with me as where i completely fell in love with the halloween series you know I, i'd always loved the first movie but now you know michael myers was a number one like you know sorry freddie you're off to the side michael myers is the man that's awesome i wish it's too bad that it was 1997 because if it had been you know 15 years later, we would have a video of you walking through the cornfields. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, one of the downsides. Uh, you know, my friends and I, we would always, we had, you know, a big chunky camcorder uh, where we would film our own movies, uh, mm -hmm. which have just been kind of lost over time because, uh, you know, we never really, you know, they were saved on tapes and now, you know, tapes being obsolete, it's oh man, if we, only we would have uploaded it, uh, you know, onto a computer at some point in time uh, yeah. before the tape deteriorated. <sighs> but yeah, we were just born, yeah, 15 years too late because uh, we'd, we'd have our own YouTube channels and all kinds of, you know, probably, you know, TikTok superstars. Yeah, definitely. But then again, we did get to experience the, um, the Blair Witch phenomenon being on the Oh, yeah. Thing, so. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we had that. And then also the, you know, communal theater experience, you know, with, uh, you know, with social media, sometimes, you know, things will get spoiled for you. Uh, you can just, you know, back then it was, you went to the mo the video store because somebody said they saw this movie and then you go watch it. Well, now, you know, a movie is released and there's, you know, 10,000 articles about it already. So the kind of going into something blind uh, is kind of lost on the current generation. Yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, movie trailers? They're way too spoilery these days. I remember watching like the, uh, you know, when David Gordon Green's Halloween came out and that trailer basically, you know, gave you the entire movie. Like, 
we can stop with this. Just give me, you know, movie trailer guy, you know, in a world. And then, uh, you know, some, some air horns and a couple of scenes from the movie. And like, you know, give me just a 30 second little teaser and I'm there. Um, I don't, I don't need to know every, the, every single plot beat uh, to get into the movie. So what did you think of the teaser that came out for Halloween Kills back a few months back? Uh, see, that's how you do a teaser where it's just, you know, she, obviously we know she was in the back of the back of the truck and, uh, you know, you know, screaming, you know, let him burn, let him burn. Well, obviously we know it's a sequel, so he didn't burn. So, uh, yeah, the teaser trailer was, uh, was perfect for that. So since you're a huge fan of the original Halloween, how did you feel about the, the reboot in 2018? So I had really mixed feelings about it. One of the things that uh, I kind of appreciated that they were going to, you know, throw out the sequels and, you know, get back to basics. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of a, a cool novel idea, but we kind of saw that 20 years ago with Halloween H2O. And someone who was also a huge fan of the Jamie Lloyd storyline from Halloween 4, 5, and 6, I've always wanted them to somehow pick that aspect of it up. Um, but uh, them going in with a, with a fresh perspective, I was, I was okay with. Uh, my one gripe with the movie, though, is they were going to, you know, throw all of that out. Why is Michael just picked up by the police like five minutes after the movie ends and in prison for 40 years? You could just have him, you know, as the boogeyman for 40 years and do all kinds of, you know, incredibly fun stuff. You know, you could make all kinds of, you know, prequels, uh, you know, what was Michael Myers doing in the 90s? What was he doing 10 years ago? You could create a, an entire world's uh, but nope, he's just been in prison for 40 years. And again, they're going to transport him close to Halloween because, you know, that's what you have to do when a guy, you know, goes on a murder spree twice on Halloween. Like, oh, hey, let's get him out of the let's get him out of the sanitarium again. So, uh, yeah, some of that plot beat uh, I wasn't a fan of. But, uh, you know, seeing seeing Laurie again, uh, you know, and in. in kick-ass mode was uh was pretty fun and the john carpenter score with his son that was amazing i mean i absolutely love uh listening to that score uh especially some of that uh you know the violin guitar uh that's uh, that kind of twangs in there like that's just that stinger like oh man that sounds awesome yeah no i i like that score too i think i definitely i definitely have it favorited or bookmarked in spotify are you married uh, yes, um, been married for since 2009, uh, and we have a little son, uh, Quentin, who is six, um, and he is uh, becoming a horror hound on his own right. Uh, his favorite movie series is the Aliens movies, uh, so we constantly have one of the Alien movies uh, playing in the background. How old was he when he first saw his first Alien movie? Uh, he really didn't watch that until a year or so ago. Uh, he watches a bunch of um, animated movie trailers on YouTube. So they'll do kind of musical interpretations of movies. So he saw the instrumental version of Alien vs. Predator. And so he's like, Daddy, I want to watch this movie. We own it. Sure, why not? So... Uh, yeah, the box set uh, sits upstairs and uh, he watches that or The Meg or King Kong, Godzilla. Um, Jurassic Park? 
What's that? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Absolutely loves Jurassic Park. He actually, his favorite of the Jurassic Park series was Jurassic Park 3 for the longest time. Uh, so he, he really loved uh, the Spinosaurus. Uh, <laughs> but I think he's more transitioned into uh, Jurassic World these days with the Indominus Rex. So. Yeah, definitely. So what does your wife think of horror movies? Is she a fan? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, she just watches them. Um, I wouldn't say that she is like, you know, on the same level as I am, but you know, we do like going to, going to see, uh, uh, scary movies together. Um, I did drag her to see Hereditary and, uh, she, she was not pleased with that one. We had to make a pact that none of us would make the little click noise, uh, at least for two weeks in the house. Cause that we, we would do that, uh, you know, from, uh, the Shrek movies where the donkey would make that noise, that little like noise uh so we would do that just randomly in the house and we kind of looked at each other and said uh we're gonna put a veto on this for two weeks because uh hereditary just uh kind of kind of shook us a little that's understandable i don't even know if i can make that sound yeah that's like the last time i was in a theater i just uh the the spoilers uh you know scene where uh uh tony collette is on the ceiling and like jumps out i audibly yelled uh, the F word out real loud uh, along with a couple of the other patrons in the theater. And uh, we're just like, like, nope, nope, I'm out. This is, this is too much. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched Hereditary twice and seeing it in theaters and every single time it's always like, oh my God, she's in the corner. And I do remember seeing it in theaters and everyone freaking out about that like sequence of events. Oh, sure. And that's where I kind of miss uh, the movie theater experience right now is because I have seen it at home since. And uh, yeah, so now that I know that it's there, just it, you know, if I had to rate, you know, the scariness of the movie, you know, it would dip way down uh, from that first viewing because you saw it with a crowded audience and, uh, you know, no, nobody really knew what to expect. It was so fun to see in the, see in the theaters. So we had to reschedule this interview because you were diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, I'm glad you're feeling better. This kind of relates, but there was an article that came out in July about how horror movie fans are handling lockdown better. Can you talk about if you think that's true, why that is, and did horror movies help you get through the quarantine period? Uh, yeah, well, I think that... Uh you know, a lot of people, when they think of horror fans, uh, kind of think of the outsiders or ones that, uh, you know, are, are isolated. So if you go along those lines of thought, then, well, they're not constantly going out uh, into public. They're not going out uh, hooping and hollering it up in the bars. So they're, they're more apt to just sit at home and, you know, get a couple of friends over and watch some movies. Uh, so I think, with that, uh, you know, it's just the how you experience the, you know, what you do for fun or the world. Um, and also, we see, you know, make-believe versions of atrocities and are able to process those. Uh, so I think that's part of it is, you know, we, we see it and we can see that, you know, good does, does prevail or, you know, we, you know, you do come out of the other side, you know, maybe changed, but, uh, you know, still, still alive and kicking. Um, so I think that's part of it. Uh, horror fans have, have kind of experienced, uh, you know, quarantine and, uh, you know, 
things going bad in society and know that eventually it will turn around. Are you feeling better? Do you still have any symptoms of COVID? So just a little bit of shortness of breath, which never hit me. You know, the when I was first diagnosed, I actually thought I just had a cold. Like, um, you know, I was sniffling and sneezing. Um, it just felt a little achy. Um, had a fever for one day. Um, and that's what, you know, got me to think, well, maybe I should get tested. I thought it's just a bad cold, but, you know, COVID times better be, you know, safe than sorry. The day, you know, the day I went in for the testing, I felt perfectly fine. My fever had broke. Uh, I was really only sick for, you know, two days. And then, you know, the two days later, I got the results and said I did test positive. And I was like, well, that's weird. I feel completely fine now. So, you know, just kind of uh, stayed uh, the next, you know, 10 days in my, uh, in my room, just watching, you know, tons and tons of horror movies but uh the the real like lingering effect i would say is uh just shortness of breath i went for a jog um you know after i was able to leave the house uh, um and go back to work on my lunch break i usually go to the park next door and just kind of walk around the lake well i got one lap in and i just could not catch my breath to you know save my life and it's just kind of lingered. So anytime I do any sort of, you know, strenuous activity, it's kind of, uh, you know, hard to catch my breath. So I would say it's uh, equated to maybe what someone with asthma goes through. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, it's just, uh, it's not a long-term lasting effect, but uh, you know, you just never know. Yeah, definitely. Wear your mask, everyone. Right. And that's the thing too, is like trying to figure out where, I even contracted it. Uh, We had someone that hadn't worked in our office, someone brand new had come in, started working and we had our, 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 our clicks, our system of, you know, staying away from everybody. And then we had someone new enter in. And then all of a sudden, like the department, you know, downstairs and upstairs started getting more COVID cases. So, you know, was it the fact that we brought somebody out from outside? Was it when I went to the grocery store, you know, I had my mask on, but touched the cart and then, you know, didn't sanitize my hands before touching something else. Yeah, we just, it's, it's hard to contract, you know, contact trace uh, where I may have uh, picked it up. And, you know, fortunately my wife and my son uh, didn't test positive or show any symptoms. So uh, I'm thankful that I was able to quarantine myself in the house to keep them from uh, getting sick at all. So how do you decide what you want to watch when you're looking for a horror movie to watch? Oh, it is the single hardest decision in life, I would say. I have, and I counted this the other day, I have 65 unopened Scream Factory Blu-rays that are just sitting there And I'm like, I should start getting through some of these, but uh, I don't really feel like I want to watch any of these or I want to watch like five or six of them all at once. So uh, a lot of times I just got to close my eyes and pick. What exactly is Scream Factory? I don't think I've ever heard of them before. Uh, Sure. So they are a division of Shout Factory, which is uh, puts out a bunch of different uh, um, home video uh, releases. Uh, the Scream Factory division works by, you know, putting out horror movies. Um, and the main thing they do is they supplement, they you put a bunch of special features on. So you'll get, 
you know, five or six commentaries. You'll get uh, people who are visiting the filming locations. You'll get interviews with cast and crew. Uh, So they're, you know, like the the U.S. version of uh, what uh, Arrow does in the U.K. Okay, cool. I'll have to look into that. I have to ask, what are your thoughts on Ari Aster's movies? Uh, so I've, I mean, I loved Hereditary, you know, even though it, it scared me and shocked me uh, in the theater. And uh, it's, you know, it'd probably been 20 years since a movie had actually scared me. So I, I, I really appreciated that. Uh, and then with uh, Midsommar, I, I was indifferent about it. It was, it was okay. It just, it reminded me a lot of The Wicker Man. Um, so I, I thought it was I thought it was okay it was decent but it wasn't uh, scary uh, per se um, does make me think that uh, he's got some issues uh, that he can work out on screen which is which is great um, and it, a very good filmmaker um, really anticipating seeing what's com- what comes next. So have you had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Oh yeah, tons. Especially you know working uh, for a movie theater. I would do private screenings uh, when Shout Factory released uh, the producer's cut of Halloween 6 for the first time. Uh, I was working at the theater, so I did my own private screening of that. Uh, so I got to see that on the big screen uh, for the first time. Uh, and was just, you know, blown away by the, you know, the, the quality that you still get, you know, just hooking up an HDMI cable to a projector like that. And then uh, when I went, uh, one night I did get out um everyone had left the theater it was just me and i was kind of being lazy i had turned off all the trivoli lights which are the lights you know along the stairs and the you know the sides so it's not pitch black in the movie theater well i turned those completely off uh and watched get out and there were a couple scenes where i kind of wish there was a little bit of light in there because uh it did actually uh scare me Uh, some of those jump scares uh really gets you when it's pitch black and all of a sudden you get color and, and quick speed running at you. And then uh, the most memorable experience, I would say, I went to the music box in Chicago, um, since we live relatively close. Freddy Krueger himself was there with Ray Wise and they did a double feature of Swamp Thing and A Nightmare on Elm Street and did a really long discussion about the films and the history uh, uh, you know, their acting careers and uh, stuff like that. Uh, you know, got to you do a meet and greet and uh, just, you know, listening to two actors just, you know, riff off of one another about their, you know, 30 plus year film history uh, was just an amazing experience. Oh, that's so cool. So you said before we started recording that you live about 20 minutes, give or take, from Chicago. Have you ever been to the former site of the Cabrini Green Apartments from Candyman? Yes. Yep. Uh, been, been along there. I mean, it, it's a wonderful, beautiful place now. Uh, but uh, it's hard to imagine, you know, obviously I, I know what it looks like because of Candyman and uh, the history, um, you know, in textbooks and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, once once I've seen it, you know, in person, it's like, oh, it's actually a really nice looking, you know, gentrified uh, community now. So, but yeah, try to visit all the the local Chicago uh, haunts and, you know, try to do a Ferris Bueller day, uh, trying to hit up all of those spots as well. 
What was the last movie you saw in theaters and do you missing movies in theaters? The Music Box Theater actually did a 31 Days of Horror where they did everything, you know, instead of inside, they uh, did it as a drive-in and was able to see uh, Jason Goes to Hell uh, on the big screen there. Uh, the Halloweenies presented it. And it was absolutely amazing uh, seeing that on the big screen because it's, it, it's kind of the bastard son of the Friday the 13th series, but I, that's what I live for. Just go crazy with your series. I mean, you can only have, you know, guy in hockey mask kill teenagers so much. Uh, give me, give me the, the deadite slimy worm uh, killed with a Kandarian dagger. Uh, give me that. So the last movie I saw in theater itself, I can't even remember. I really wanted to see the hunt and, um, Invisible Man, and I was going to do that as a double feature, but it was the weekend where quarantine just started, and the theaters were still open, but it was kind of like, do I really want to go and test this out, because everything's already shut down, like, no, I'll just wait, and uh, so, you know, rented the rented the hunt, and absolutely loved that, paid the, the $20 premium, um, and then, uh, yeah, I saw Invisible Man finally when it hit HBO Max. Yeah, I also, I paid, I paid 20 bucks for both The Hunt and Invisible Man when they first came on. Uh, the Hunt was so good. We already talked about The Invisible Man. But um, The Hunt was really good, too. They kind of poked fun at both sides equally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what, and that's what I loved about it. And the, having seen the movie, I can't... Maybe my mind doesn't work that way, but I can't figure out what the controversy was because I mean, it's clearly a satire and it's making fun of you know, both political spectrums. So I can't see how, I mean, I guess both sides were equally upset about it, but no, I, mean, I don't think, I, I don't think the more liberal side was upset about it at all. I think it was conservatives saw the trailer and thought it was just about conservatives getting hunted or something. Yeah, I, yeah. I've, it came yeah, from I've, a bunch of people not having seen or read anything about the movie. You know, that made me actually want to see it even more. So yeah. then when I did see it, I was like, oh, look, I, it's really enjoyable. It's fun. You know, you put it in that horror comedy satire category. But uh, yeah, the whole controversy, I think, was uh, kind of blown way out of proportion. As they often are. Uh, so I think I know what your answer is going to be to this, but what movie are you most upset that has been postponed because of COVID? Uh, so you would think it would be Halloween Kills, but actually uh, I would have to say it's a tie between, uh, so horror movie side, I would have to say Spiral uh, from the Book of Saw because I was really interested in seeing how they're continuing the Saw series. Uh, Cause it's not a, you know, it's not a reboot, like, you know, throw away all of the stuff that existed before. So it's always, I'm always interested in seeing how they're going to twist that continuity along. Um, and then uh, I'm a huge Marvel fan. So both of the Marvel releases and all the Disney plus stuff that got postponed, uh, sad that that's not coming out. Um, and my wife and I, we're huge fans of the Fast and the Furious series. Mm -hmm. So we, we really wanted Justice for Han last April, but uh, um, with that being postponed uh, another year, uh, uh, we're just like, well, what, what's going on? We really want to see this. So 
<laughs> hopefully that it's either safe to go to movie theaters and it gets released in April or, you know, it gets put in, uh, you know, somehow on demand. Yeah. Are you going to watch The Conjuring 3 when it comes on HBO Max? Yes. Yep. I'll be seeing that. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Warrens, like, as real life people, but I love the Conjuring series. And I'm just like, can we just change the name so it's not, they don't get any credit or, you know, they're, get any sort of kickback or just, you know, somehow appearance money or anything from that. But uh, no, I do love the, uh, the, the main Conjuring series itself. The, the spinoffs, uh, I can do without those. Uh, just the, those aren't really my cup of tea. But, uh, but yeah, the main uh, Conjuring series, I'll definitely be seeing that. Yeah. What, do you like Conjuring 1 or 2 better? Uh, I like the first one the best. I do like how in the Conjuring 2, you know, uh, it kind of gets away from the normal what you think of the Warrens, uh, the, the the usual like number one case study that they had um, and kind of doing something different. Uh, but I do, uh, I do appreciate the first one a little bit more. I think the second Conjuring, which I also really like, but I think it feels like it, it feels like different for the Warrens being there because I think they, they fabricated a lot of it because they were only yeah. there for one day. Right. And then that's, it, it seems like also that's the one where it, it sets up like, all of the offshoot uh, series that are happening. So we're like, okay, we're going to introduce all these little side characters that are going to be uh, their own movie eventually. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, like a Marvel movie, you know, th- throwing in the seeds of, Oh, we're going to explain this in the next movie. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Did you see the nun? Uh, no, I didn't see the nun. I heard so many bad things about it. I've heard good things about uh, Annabelle Comes Home, so I may watch that just on its own. But uh, yeah, I just this just never really got my interest. Yeah, The Nun was terrible, but Annabelle Comes Home is is a good movie. It's on HBO Max, I believe. Oh sure, you can go and watch that. Um, are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like, or do you hold any unpopular horror movie opinions? Not really. I've just, there's a lot that I've seen that maybe just other people aren't aware of. Um, I love like the B, C list uh, style horror movies. So um, one of my favorites is a movie called Rock and Roll Nightmare, which is this $30,000, just no budget uh, uh, horror flick from uh, John Michael Thor, which was, uh, you know, an 80s hair metal uh, uh, musician. and it is just, it's so, it's the so bad it's good category. And I just, uh, I absolutely love that. And anytime I can show it to somebody, I'm like, you got to check this out. It's, it's bad. I'm going to be flat out, let you know it's bad, but it's like Mystery Science Theater 3000 bad. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you get a group of people, you have some drinks and you watch this and it's uh, just a, a good time riffing on what you see. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it was called Rock and Roll. Rock and Roll Nightmare. Nightmare, okay. Yeah, and then it had, uh, there's another movie with the same guy called Zombie Nightmare, uh, which has Tia Carrera and Adam West in it. Uh, Both of them have Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes out there. Uh, So you know know it's a good quality movie uh, when you've got uh, the MST3K guys uh, riffing on you. If you could remake or reimagine one horror movie, which one would it be? Uh, So I would... 
I'm not a huge fan of remaking, you know, remakes like the Rob Zombie remake was terrible. Nightmare on Elm Street was terrible. So I'm not a huge fan of, you know, remaking things that, uh, that exist. I would probably say um, something like a Freddy versus Jason or one of the various Halloween sequels with one of the drafts that wasn't used. Um, so kind of creating like an alternate universe. Um, there's uh, these two really good books. Uh, one of them is uh, all about the 17 different drafts of Freddy versus Jason um, and how the one that came to screen kind of came, came to be. Uh, so I would, you know, try to do something like that where just, uh, you know, we're remaking a movie, but we're not even, we're not using the script or, you know, even the plot line of what existed beforehand. Awesome. I don't know. Um, have you heard about the book Taking Shape 2, the Lost Halloween sequels? Yes, I'm actually uh, reading that right now. Um, oh. It's actually yeah, sitting behind me on the, uh, on the, the book stand here. Uh, so I've, I've made it all the way up to the Halloween 6 uh, part of it. So uh, yeah, there's a, a Halloween 4 script in there that uh, um, would have been amazing. I think it's a lot of these, they're really ambitious. And Mustafa Akkad, just after the failure of Halloween 3, just wasn't, wasn't ready to, you know, make anything that was ambitious or, you know, something that was different. He's, you know, I want, you know, guy in white mask killing teenagers. So would you recommend this book to people who are horror fans? Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, there's two different taking shapes. Uh, so yeah, the, the first one is kind of just the, you know, uh, history of the Halloween series itself. And then Taking Shape 2 is, uh, yeah, the, just the lost uh, sequels, uh, interviews with people, you know, script writers that, uh, you know, their scripts were denied. Um, and yeah, anyone who's a fan of uh, the series, uh, definitely check that out. Or uh, um, the same guys did the Freddy versus Jason slash of the Titans. Uh, I would recommend that book as well, just to because I remember in high school, I was reading all of these, you know, all the horror websites, all the, the blogs, um, going to Chud every day and, you know, finding out more information about uh, all these Freddy versus Jason scripts and like, oh man, this movie is going to be amazing. And then, you know, it just it didn't happen this year, didn't happen this year. And then finally, when it did come out, I was like, this was okay. But uh, yeah, it wasn't the stuff that I remember reading, you know, all the exclusive scoops uh, over, you know, the 15 years that it took to come to screen. Yeah, I can't believe that there were supposed to be 24, potentially 24 other Halloween sequels. That would yeah, it's mind yeah, mind. it's and, and yeah. There's the yeah. One of the scripts had uh, um, Laurie Strode. Um, you know, she had faked. She hadn't quite faked her death. She was living in Chicago, and she was living in a high-rise apartment. Uh, as a, a media manager and uh, Michael Myers is out there in a leather jacket uh, driving a Ferrari. Uh, so yeah, it's some of this stuff, it, it got out there, but uh, yeah, that's what I would do. You know, if I had the Jeff Bezos money, be like, Hey, here's, here's $10 million. Make this script for me, please. Well, hopefully maybe Jeff Bezos is listening. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So just, uh, Throw, throw some money out there. Get to Blumhouse on this. We'll just create uh, the alternate Halloween universe. 
So my last question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? So I was actually disappointed because I was anticipating this question and I had I, what I thought was a great answer that no one else would have. And then just listening to the most recent released episode uh, that Patrick Bateman was brought up. <laughs> and I just thought I would absolutely love to uh, uh, be in quarantine with Patrick Bateman because I don't think uh, that I would reach into his, you know, he would be jealous of me category uh, to try to kill me off. We'd be living in a high rise. We'd be, you know, renting tapes and, uh, you know, getting takeout every day. So uh, I would, I would, that's the, the one I would go with just because I think uh, the least likely to be murdered and, the, you know, the most fun. Yeah, you're not a prostitute, so he probably wouldn't kill you. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Michael. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Uh, sure. So just about every social media, um, you can find me uh, as The Miggy Mac. Um, I'm on, you know, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Snapchat. I think I may have even created a TikTok, but yeah. Just the Mickey Mac um, and then in the Horror Virgin uh, family. That's where you'll find me. Awesome. I'll leave links to all of those in the show notes. All right. Well, have a good night and I will see you around in the Horror Virgin community. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the Miggy Mac, aka Michael Forth, and thanks again to Michael for coming on. I'll put links to all of his social handles in the show notes in case you want to continue the conversation with him online about which of the 27 Halloween sequels he should ask Jeff Bezos to finance. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. It really helps people find us. And thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. We really appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. Or if you would like to send us any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or if you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at thewhosetherepod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and wear a mask.